sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, it is the transition time, a very important time of transition between governments here in the United States. And so we're going to do a series of programs looking both backwards and forwards at religious freedom during the most recent Trump administration period, and then looking at changes and expectations and challenges ahead for religious freedom. Today, our guest is Bettina Krauss, Director of Government Affairs for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Bettina, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Great to be with you, Alan. Thanks for inviting me on. Now, your work primarily, if I understand it, is in the international arena on behalf of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So let's start there. Uh, You know, many of us who care about human rights and religious freedom have been frustrated over, you know, many decades that it seems as though um, other foreign policy concerns always take precedence Mm. for human rights and over religious freedom. Uh, I gather that in the Trump administration, religious freedom was played a very central role in American foreign policy and activities of the State Department. Uh, Why don't you talk about that first? Sure. And you're absolutely right. I mean, whichever way you look at it, religious freedom has taken a massive role in foreign policy over the past four years. I'd say it's almost an unprecedented level of emphasis that it's been given um, under this Secretary of State. Um, You see it in a number of different areas. First of all, you see it in the initiatives such as the establishment of ministerials held each year to advance religious freedom, bringing together high-level representatives from governments around the world to focus on ways in which um, like-minded countries can advance uh, the principle of religious freedom. Uh, You see it in the Office of International Religious Freedom at the State Department. Under this administration, it has expanded both in its role and in its um, staffing, and it has become this hub of activity under the leadership of Ambassador Sam Brownback, who is the International Religious Freedom Ambassador for the U.S. government. Uh, And he has played a pivotal role in making sure that this issue is front and center. Um, But I should say, Alan, this is not the whole story because you also have to ask what type of religious freedom or what is the value that is actually being promoted by the State Department. And there, um, people have differing opinions. Well, so let's explore that. I mean, you know, one of my critiques for a number of years has been that for too many Americans, religious freedom means the freedom to believe as I do. Right. It's a very narrow conception of, you know, religious freedom as Christian America and freedom for Christians. And that sort of approach 
led to the Muslim ban, for example. Sure. You know, and, yeah. and the notion that um, uh, to be a genuine American is to be a Christian. And if you're not, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, if you're atheist or secular agnostic, um, that's not deserving of the same measure of protection. Yeah, and I think that is a fair critique. Look at it this way. I mean, you can have this two broad um, and opposing views of religious freedom as a human right. One is that religious freedom is the first freedom. Uh, and this is very much within the um, tradition of American constitutionalism. It's seen, it has a very Christian hue about it. Um, it's seen as uh, trumping other religious rights or at least giving a foundation to them. Um, and thus it has a sort of elevated position in the hierarchy of freedoms. Then you go to the more international um, framework, which is based on Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is far broader in its um, conception of religious freedom, religious freedom or belief. So it embraces non-belief as well. And it is seen as just one of many human rights. Um, there's an interplay of human rights where one is not seen as more important than another. And if you look at the State Department's messaging, I guess, over the past four years, you will see that there's very much an emphasis on the conception of religious freedom as a first freedom. Mm -hmm. um, it has there's been many who have criticized the State Department, not for promoting religious freedom, but for ignoring other human rights over the past four years. And so this emphasis has sort of edged out other just as important or very important issues. Um, there was a commission. Let me cut to the chase here, if I can, Bettina. Sure. Because, you know, we've watched these ministerials. We've watched a lot of public emphasis on religious freedom. Yeah. But where the rubber meets the road, you know, the the Pew annual reports on uh, religious persecution yeah. and, uh, you know, challenges to uh, religious freedom around the globe keep getting worse, not better. Yeah. And, you know, whether we take it in the broad sphere or look at specific policies, for example, concerning China yeah. and the Uyghur Muslims, right, has the question is, has this emphasis on religious freedom internationally produced concrete results? I think the administration would point to specific instances, such as Uzbekistan um, has definitely made improvements um, under the coaching of the Office of International Religious Freedom at the State Department, and a number of other Central Asian countries are making steps, so baby steps. But as to your broader point about religious persecution worldwide, I, I think that that is an issue that is too big for even U.S. foreign policy <laughs> to make a significant dent in. I mean, it is immense. I attend um, a Religious Freedom Roundtable with Ambassador Brown back every week, and you leave it with a sense of being bombarded with just the sheer um, scale of the persecution and the issues that... So I don't know that it's a fair question to say, has Trump's policy or has his State Department made a real impact? Um, I think there have been practical and concrete deliverables. On the other hand, I think they have, um, you know, with this Commission on Unalienable Rights, which um, which Secretary Pompeo set up, it sort of set up the U.S. 
um, in opposition to the United Nations in many ways. And I don't know that that's a helpful stance if you're truly trying to engage with a global issue. I think um, you have to build bridges, not burn them. Um, and I think this administration has specialised in burning rather than building. Um, and also, you know, let's be real. I mean, you have the president tweeting that fear of Muslims is rational. That's a, that's a quote from one of his tweets or that um, Muslims need to be banned from the US. I mean, you have that sort of background. That does not position the government internationally as a peacemaker or a bridge builder. I mean, it's just antithetical to to the process of trying to um, mediate in different parts of the world. So, you know, the whole track record, I would say, is mixed at best and just simply confused at worst. So let's turn to the domestic arena. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your assessment of the impact of the Trump administration domestically? And then let's make that quick, because yeah. I do want to, before we close, any quick comments about uh, what the future of a Biden administration may hold? Sure. OK. You know, domestically, we could go into detail of the executive orders and the regulatory um, maneuvers that um, the administration has made on religious freedom issues. But I think in a broader sense, what has sort of set the stage for how the Trump administration has handled domestic policies has been its approach to who it listens to and how that advice reaches the White House. So under President Obama, there was a sort of a big tent coalition of religious groups that regularly met in a formal setting with the White House to advise not just on religious freedom issues, but on other um, issues aligned with religious interests such as climate change, um, immigration, civil rights. So there was sort of a formal mechanism for a very diverse group of religions uh, to have the ear of the White House. Under President Trump, there is a very small informal evangelical group that has been the, I would say, the guiding force. And is it any wonder, I guess, that religious freedom has become a more divisive issue uh, under this administration. So, I mean, that's the general, I would say, analysis. So it really has been a preference for evangelical religion over others. Yeah. And obviously, the so-called Muslim ban uh, reflects the kind of divisive approach to religion from this administration. Right. So looking ahead, mm. you know, are there things you anticipate changes that you expect from a Biden administration for the better or for the worse? Sure. Or both? Well, on the domestic side, I think it's pretty clear he's going to spend the first little while trying to untangle the executive orders and regulatory moves that President Trump has put in place, um, you know, that cross all the major federal offices, uh, Health and Human Services, Department of Education, Labor. So I'm sure there will be a lot of it's not going to be a smooth road ahead domestically on religious freedom issues because we're in a different era where LGBT rights are very much part of the equation, you know, and how religious organizations and religious institutions, uh, individuals relate 
Um, that's just going to be a feature on the domestic side. Um, then we have the Equality Act, which depending on how the Senate uh, runoffs go, may or may not move forward. I'm betting it will not. Um, and that's another piece of that domestic puzzle. On the international side, I, I'm more I'm optimistic that I think Biden will introduce more of a balance in his approach to human rights. I think he will lean more toward the international conception, Article 18. Um, I think he will uh, build more bridges to the international community. Um, I think his emphasis on religious freedom will continue. He is a man of faith um, and he has a track record to show his sympathy on many of the policy issues that I deal with. So I'm more optimistic on the international front than I am on the domestic front. Well, you know, but returning to uh, that you spotlighted really the, the ongoing conflict between LGBT rights and religious freedom. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the Supreme Court may very well kind of uh, mm. govern that area. We have the Fulton case pending, right. which was recently argued. And um, uh, that case, our listeners don't necessarily know, has to do with whether a, a Roman Catholic foster care agency mm -hmm. can be licensed and function and accommodated without having to place children with same-sex parents, that they can place kids with opposite-sex parents, and same-sex parents have other services available to them. Right. So I expect that the Supreme Court favoritism for religious freedom is going to help resolve right. that conflict to a great extent. Right. And we didn't really cover the issue of the courts because not only does the Supreme Court now have a 6-3 um, split in favor of the conservative view, but you look at the federal courts generally, I mean, 220 uh, judges with lifetime um, tenure now ensconced in um, different courts. Sure. So, you know. Let me cut you off because we're out of time. Sure. Uh, all there's more to talk about. Our guest today, Bettina Krauss, Director of Government Affairs at the General Conference of Seventh day Adventists, kicking off a series on a retrospective looking backwards and forwards on religious freedom as we're witnessing a changing of the guard. As we close this, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.